Got your Bibles? Turn to the Psalms, because then you'll be close to Proverbs. And then we're going to start to read. Is that good? Are you all ready? The people that I'm going to preach about this morning are not here. Okay, so you can all relax. You can all relax. All right, let me just have a look. I'm just looking by the Spirit like a prophet. Okay, none of them are watching on live stream. So we can just relax and preach. Is that good? Good. Amen. So I'm continuing on visitation because we, how many of you know we need a visitation? We need God to come in and do something for us. And uh, we need God to, um, in a sense, take the initiative. And it's not an excuse for not evangelizing, not witnessing. It's quite interesting you know, we've been looking at visitation and things like this, but uh, it's just really amazing. You know, the longer I live and the more I pastor, I don't know how I get it right. I'm 38 years old and I've been pastoring for nearly 40. Well, 38 is nearly 40, I guess. So, yeah. And so in all of this life of pastoring, you know, and the longer I live, the more I've come to the conclusion. And like I said, I'm looking around and they're not here today, but um, I just realized people are stupid. You know, it's crazy. I was watching a video clip, and he's a jihadist. It's doing the rounds. And he's sitting, and the jihadi music's going, or whatever music's going. And he's got a 9 mil pistol or something. And then he's cleaning it, and then he fires it in the house. Like this. In the house. His mom's sitting there, his wife's sitting there, his kids are sitting next to him. And he's laughing. He's a big deal and all this kind of thing. And, and then I don't know how many shots he fired, because his son pulls out another magazine and gives it to him. And then he takes it, he pops the empty magazine out. Then he doesn't put the other one in, but then he does this and puts his hand on the barrel and he pulls the trigger. There's one in the barrel. So he shoots a big hole through his hand, his fingers hanging down, your bones sticking out everywhere. So I sent it to my son Daniel and he said, stupidity is painful. (laughs) So if, if I've got to be absolutely honest with you, is sometimes I've caused myself quite a bit of pain, you know. And uh, the unfortunate thing is, is that over the years, I think I must have been naive or something, I've discovered how silly Christians can be. Yeah, it's just amazing. I don't know if we like suffering or what it is, but um, sometimes Christians suffer. We had an elder in the church, and he'd always tell me the story. That person there is like the man that was on the pavement, and he's hitting his head on the streetlight. So eventually somebody, you know, there's blood splatting, and somebody goes to him and says, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? He says, because it feels so good when I stop. So the verse that I want to bring to you, like I said, they're not here, okay? So the verse that I want to bring is, so we're going to be talking about people this morning. And uh, Proverbs 22 verse 15 says this. It's quite interesting. Folly, everyone say folly which is foolishness. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Say folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Is that okay? That's why we have to sometimes smack the behinds, the seat of the understanding. This is the seat of understanding, but the understanding is here. But there's a direct connection between there and there, and there and there. Okay, it's old-fashioned now because now we negotiate with children. We reason with them. You know, we don't smack them because that is illegal. You can go to jail. So we just talk to them as if just talking <laughs> is going to help, you know. So we, we, we might as well eradicate prisons because, you know, criminals are much more grown up. So surely if we just talk to them, they'll stop their crime. You know, it's like just into our independence, the ANC is part of the strategy to bring the downfall of the apartheid government was non-compliance. So we don't pay electricity, we don't pay water, we don't pay nothing. Now, 20-something years later, we still don't pay. So the ANC government thinks, if I put up a board that says Masakani, let's do it together, everyone's going to go, oh gosh, that's right. Okay, let's start paying tax, let's start paying... It's not going to work. Is that okay? It's always quiet when I talk about our government. If they're wrong, they're wrong. Is that okay? If they're doing things stupid, they're doing things stupid. These things that they are doing right, I haven't found any yet. No, no, I'm sorry. 
But folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Where, listen to me, where does that folly come from? Did you teach them the folly? Did you teach them how to be foolish? You see, children, um, we were all born into Adam and Eve's sin. Every human being is born with a sin nature. So they are born with folly in their hearts. Everybody say they were born with it. Is that okay? Have you ever noticed you don't have to teach your children how to be naughty? They somehow instinctively know it from little. They know how to be jealous. They know how to be spiteful. They know how to get angry. They know how to push and shove. They know how to say, it's mine, and all of these kinds of things. They know. What is the first word they learn? No. no. Is that okay? That's the first, and mena. That's the first two words. Are those nice words? No, they're not nice words. And so folly is bound up in the heart of a child. One of the things that I've discovered you know, as I've grown older, is that some of my folly has followed me into my adulthood. Things that, you know, my mom and dad try to beat out, <laughs> beat out of me, you know. But, you know, how many of you know that we are, even as kids, as kids, we still have the inability to respond it varies on our upbringing. A lot of things were trained out of us. A lot of things were disciplined out of us. But what my experience is, is that for a lot of adults, the seed of that thing was modified, and maybe it's mutated a little bit, but in many adults, that thing is still there. And folly, folly, foolishness, is bound up in the heart of many adults. The problem with it is that that seed thing has matured. Many years ago, and I have a friend in the church who often reminds me of it, because many, many years ago, 1995, I spoke to him about it. And I said to him, I spoke to the Lord one day, and you've heard me say this, and I met a precious, dear, sweet, wonderful, just the most awesome old couple. And um, when I left them, I, I was like, I was so impressed with them. I said, Lord Jesus... One day when I'm old, which is a long way away still, I want to be like those kind of people, just tender and gentle and sweet and nice. Because my experience is you meet a lot of old people, they're angry, cranky, disillusioned, grumpy, and all kinds of things. It's because, you know, and I said to the Lord, what is the difference between that couple? And I had some other couples in mind, and they're not in church, like I said, they're not here. This was many years ago that I said this. And I said, God, what is the difference? Why? And he said, because weeds and wheat grow together. It's only at the end there. And he said to me, he said to me, John, if you want to be like that couple, you need to tend to the wheat and pull out the weeds. But very often that foolishness comes there. And sometimes it's affected in our growing up. Sometimes it's confirmed maybe by the things that happen in our lives subsequently. Maybe it's a combination. I don't know. But for many adults, that folly is still bound up in their hearts. And unfortunately, unfortunately, that folly is there even among some Christians. So look at Jesus as an example. How many of you remember the story about when they went up to the feast and the family left with the caravan, the party that they were with, and it was only on the third day they discovered Jesus is not with them. And then he's in the temple. When they go back, they find in the temple, and he's reasoning with the Pharisees, and they're so impressed with his wisdom. But the Bible says the parents were remonstrating with him. You know, we were so worried. And he said, well, didn't you know that I should be about my father's business, age 12? That actually was his bar mitzvah. That was his testing by the scribes and the Pharisees. But the thing is, he removed himself customary-wise. He submitted to, if you understand what I'm saying, customary-wise, it was his bar mitzvah. But spiritually-wise, he said, I must be about my father's business. And so there was another sense in which he didn't have bar mitzvah according to the law. Okay. So listen to what he says, or what it says in Luke 2. Then he went down to Nazareth with them. You know, he's 12 years old. He's under the guardianship of his parents. <laughs> but the Bible puts it that he's mature enough. And I think there's a lot that you can read into this. But he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Everyone say obedient. The Son of God, the most righteous one, was obedient to his parents. Did they ever have perfect wisdom? 
Did they ever make 100% right decisions through his life? Surely not, because they were flesh and blood. But he went down and was obedient to them. Everyone say obedient to his parents. But now listen to what Luke states by the Spirit. And Jesus grew. Everyone say he grew. Not only in stature, but he grew in wisdom. Okay, come on church, say wisdom. If anything, we need to be growing in wisdom. Everybody say amen. amen. Say, I need to grow in wisdom. I need to grow in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. This is why I believe, main verse, and I've got many verses to support it. The grace of God is free and undeserved. Favor you earn. And if anybody disagrees with me, you're going to have a hard time disproving what I'm saying. He grew in wisdom and in stature. But because he grew in wisdom, he grew in the favor of God and the favor of people. Listen, you can't act like you want and have God's favor. Is that right? God's favor is attracted by your growth in the wisdom of God. Okay, there is a verse, and I can give you many more. Right. So listen. So here's Jesus now. He's such an example. Woo! Remember I was saying... There's so many people out there, and they're so dwarf. I'm so glad that I've got an intelligent church, you know. You guys are smart. But, I mean, some people are, are just, um, I don't know, I, you know. There's a short circuit going on somewhere. But anyway, listen to what Psalm 14 says, and verses 1 to 7. It's interesting that there's an almost exact parallel Psalm, Psalm 53. It's almost exactly parallel to Psalm 14. Listen to what it says. The fool says... In other words, the one with folly. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. But listen to the rest of the psalm. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone say understand. Any who seek God. Okay? So in other words, the fool, conversely then, does not understand. And does not see God. Is that okay? So God is saying, there's foolishness in the heart of people. They deny me. So I want to see, is there anyone that seeks me? Is there anyone who understands? All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There's no one who does good. Not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? Everyone say, know nothing. So in other words, they have no knowledge. Everyone say, no knowledge. So they have no knowledge. They don't understand. And they don't seek me. So we're just talking about all those silly people. All right. And then he says, they devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But listen to this. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread. Listen to this. This is the verse. For God is present in the company of the righteous. Come on, let's just dwell there. Let's just park there. God is present in the company of the righteous. So we want a visitation. Now here this psalm tells us, God is present in the company of the righteous. Can we all say that together? Maybe this will be your memory verse for the week, and you can speak it to yourself this week. For God is present in the company of the of the righteous. Now let's just change it. Say it like this. God is present in my company because I am righteous. Okay. Are we all good? All right. It's sad to me, sad to me, after 40-something years pastoring, and very sad to me often when I discover and speak to members in my church or discover it through a second-hand way that people who ought to know God live as fools. Because there's a knowledge of God that they deny. Are you all following? It's really sad. It really is sad. You know, you meet them and you hear, you know, and all this kind of thing, and they live as if they don't know God. Come on, church, if we want God present in the company of the righteous, 
We can't have folly in our hearts, but neither can we deny him by our actions while confessing him with our mouths. We can't. And so I know God, you know. I mean, you hear it all the time. Hollywood is famous. You know, you hear it on, and no, I know God. I know God. And then after a while, you, you, you know, you count watching, you go like, ooh, you know God. Ooh, you know. So a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. These people, their lips are close to me, but their hearts are far away from me. Are you with me, church? So if we want God to dwell in the company of the righteous, something's got to happen. So now, so folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's very interesting, very, very interesting. So now, Amy and Kevin, same as myself, we've got a big wood-burning, one of the slow-burning stoves in our houses, and you put wood in, you light, and you've got air control so you can raise or lower. You can control the burning of the wood, and it gives off a lot of heat. But of course, that thing gets very hot. Now, from little, Amy's had to teach her children, you know, from little in winter when it's hot. And I remember before they could really understand, she would go to them and go, okay, and stand near the thing and go like, okay, shh, it's shh, it will burn you, it's hot. Okay, Baba, it's shh. And then they would learn. Whenever they came in the proximity of the stove, they would go, shh, shh, shh. And then later when they could talk, hot. And then when I'd go around and visit They'd come up and they'd walk up to near the stove and they'd go, Pajan, hot. Yes, hot, don't touch. Isn't it amazing sometimes when you're not around? You see, when they're kids, there's three things they lack. Three things. Number one, they lack knowledge. Okay? Number two, they lack understanding. Number three, they lack wisdom. So you're trying to give them knowledge. And unfortunately, from someone who really loves them, they don't want to receive the knowledge. So they receive the knowledge of good and evil. (laughs) Skin stuck on on the hot fireplace. (sighs) Well, now you've got knowledge, and with it has come an understanding. But has any wisdom come? We don't know because, you know, you leave them alone long enough and you will find out if there's wisdom. Maybe they try and light the fire themselves and play with the matches or do something, I don't know, and they burn themselves. Is there any wisdom? And so the incredible thing is, here it is, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. He grew in wisdom. The implication is, because he grew in wisdom, prior to that there was understanding and prior to that there was knowledge. Is that okay, church? So everybody say, we need knowledge. We need understanding, and we need wisdom. Now, very, very simple, very simple. And as we go along, I mean, we want a visitation. Is that right? I mean, I really want it. But we need to deal with any folly. We need to deal with foolishness. We need to gain knowledge and understanding and wisdom. So knowledge is facts and information. But you know, many people that learn parrot fashion, they've got this knowledge, but they have no understanding concerning that. And I remember many occasions, my math teacher doing algebra or doing something on the board, and she was able to teach just magnificently. And it's always, and I think for teachers as well, it's a wonderful thing, but when she would go through and explain the reasoning behind, the maths behind the maths, the algebra behind the algebra. And you're sitting there as a student and you're looking at the board and suddenly, I understand. Because if you don't understand, you can't repeat it. If you don't understand, you can't implement it because you don't know the reason for it. Are you following me, church? And we need to understand Once I have understanding, I can then apply it as part of my lifestyle, which is what wisdom is. It's applying the knowledge with understanding and implementing it into my life. And so the Bible has got so much to say about knowledge and understanding and a lot to say about wisdom. So God is present in the company of righteous. We cannot live as fools. The three things that we have to 
pressed for is knowledge and understanding and wisdom. It's amazing to me how so many believers live as if they don't know God's principles. They live as if there's no consequences. I was watching some of the news the other day, and um, Happiness was um, in the house, our domestic, and she was working with us, and we were both standing watching the news, and she was just shaking her head, you know, going like, oh, you know. And, you know, more thieving and more stealing and more whatever. And I said to her, do you know what is so sad for me? And she said, no, Pastor, what is it? And I said, they live as if there's no God, as if there's no consequences, as if one day they are not going to answer for that. They live recklessly. Now, you know, if folly is bound up in the heart of a child, I don't know if you've ever noticed, children live recklessly. We have to teach them boundaries. They live as if there's no consequences. They live completely without understanding. So we're continuously imparting knowledge with understanding and hopefully a certain amount of wisdom which they can then apply to their lives and mature and grow up. Everybody say grow up. And so the sad thing about so many Christians and so many people is, there, is those things are missing. They still live recklessly. They still live independently. They still live as if there's no principles. And they move from crisis to crisis and crisis management to crisis management. You know, a lack of wisdom really hurts. Yeah. It's incredible how I, I, I sit with people so many times and we unravel a disaster. And as we're unraveling the disaster, they've never been able to see the dots. This where I am is as a result of. This is consequences for. This is because I didn't and I should have. Now, you know, if it's that easy and that simple, why are we all not more wise? Why is it so difficult? Why do we have to hit the lamppost, you know? And it's because very often... People don't know themselves. They're not in touch with themselves. They don't know what drives them. They don't know what motivates them. They don't know, you know, some are deliberately obstinate. Some deliberately choose, I will live my way. God will be there. He's an addendum. You know, he's added on. I'll bring him in when necessary. But if not necessary, I won't bring him in. Come on, church. You know, he's a a wanted inclusion into my life. But that's it. But I don't want him to dictate to my life. Do you know why it's easy for Christians to talk about God rather than Jesus? Do you know why it's easy for the world to talk about God rather than Jesus Christ? Because God is ambiguous. Jesus Christ is intensely personal. And if you acknowledge Jesus Christ, you have to acknowledge what he did on the cross. And there is a required response. You talk about God... God, 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 it's ambiguous. I often say to people, say, talk as Christians, talk about Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ implies an obligation. He implies a response. That's why they use the name of Jesus in vain. The only one they use in vain. And they get deep down, dirty, personal with God by using the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in blasphemy because to acknowledge Jesus in any other way is to acknowledge the demand that that name puts on us because it requires a response from me morally. Amen. So very often we're out of touch, deliberately obstinate, passive-aggressive, you know, and things like this. <laughs> the other day, Amy and I were laughing on the phone. I was giving her a little lecture about something. How many of you know your kids never cease to be your kids? They can be 30 years old, but they're still your kid. How many of you know kids, your dad and mom never cease to be your mom and dad? Yeah. yeah. And the thing is this. Here it goes. We still do no better. Because yeah. we've been there. We've done it. Got the t-shirt. Wear the cap. It's all in the cupboard. You know, and what we're trying to save you is being hurt by your stupidity. And I, I said something to Amy. She said, Dad, Dad, whoa, stop, stop. Don't give me a lecture. So I said, Ames, my darling, if you don't want to lecture, do the right thing. Don't be stupid. Yeah. Then I won't lecture you. Lecture comes because of stupidity. Yeah. So I said, so if you don't want me to lecture you, you know, get a grip and do the thing right. 
And then she said, you know, Dad, <laughs> she's laughing. She said, Dad, you know what? When you talk to me like it, you know what happens inside of me? She said, because <laughs> she's very honest. She said, I get passive aggressive. I go back to 10 years old, and then I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what you tell me. So I said, well, then you're going to get another lecture. Now do you see why I give you a lecture? Come on, church. Come on. Let's really get down and really get honest about those Christians that are not here today. Why is it that there is a resistance to God and to his principles? Number one is because there is the folly of independence still bound in our hearts. Adam and Eve, that thing of independence, I'll do it my way rather than God's way. That fierce, obstinate independence. There's a passive resistance. Sometimes it's an aggressive resistance to anybody telling me what to do. I will do it my way. It's a little bit of a problem with democracy. Democracy is not the best system in the whole world. Democracy precedes the downfall of a civilization because you elevate a person's rights to a point where they are higher than God. Read it. Read all the studies. Read the studies. What's in line for democracies? Downfall. There's only one system of government that will ever work, and that's a theocracy. Where God rules. But it's where God rules. Where we do what He says. You know, like king. Like, yes, king. Yes, your honor. Democracy doesn't work because we're all smarter than the president. We've got as much rights as him. And so what I'm saying is quite profound. So there's a spirit of independence. You know, I'll do it my way, my wisdom, or whatever. And then, of course, there's that other added thing that came through Adam and Eve that Paul describes as the old man, as the flesh, as the, the sinful nature. Isn't it amazing that the sinful nature feels more at home with sin than with righteousness. That's why it's yeah. sinful. Isn't it amazing? It's because it just feels a whole lot better to have instant gratification. It feels a whole lot better to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, than God's way. Unless, of course, I am trained in righteousness, then I will enjoy righteousness because I am trained by righteousness. But isn't it amazing? And John talks about it. Jesus experienced it in the garden. Adam and Eve went through it, but they flunked the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Yeah. I want what I see. I want what my body craves. Yes. So if I want sex, I'll have whenever I want to have it. Inside, outside of, with, without, male, female, whoever. So I've got to just gratify this thing. And so there's the sinful nature. Isn't it amazing? You know, this church is a really good giving church, but in other churches, isn't it amazing how tithes and offerings is such an issue? Do you know what I could do with that money? Unless, until you've been trained by it, and you know what is sown is not lost, it comes back as a harvest. You know, when there's pride and selfness involved, I will never apologize. I mean, you hear it, it's just very sad. I will never forgive. I mean, what is that? And somehow there's a gratification for something that is so broken and so hurting. When he says, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Love and you shall be loved. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it appeals to something messed up inside of ourselves. And so it's easier to do it the other way. So whether it's the flesh, whether it's deliberate, whether it's that independence thing, whatever. Come on, church, we need to grow in knowledge. We need to grow in understanding, and we need to grow in wisdom. Is that okay? If we want God to be in the company of the righteous, if you want to attract the favor of God, there is a way to live. Yeah. There is a way to conduct yourself. Second yeah. Peter 3.18, you already. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen. So grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it in John 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the first bit of knowledge is that we need to know God. We need to know 
Christ. Is that okay? But here it goes. Here it goes. To know Christ, the only way we know him is through his word. Once we know him through his word, we can know him by the spirit. But you can't know him by the spirit divorced from his word. We know him through what he has spoken. So we have to have a relationship with the word to have a relationship with Jesus. And so, so we need the knowledge of God. We need a knowledge of him, but it's not divorced from his word. So to know him then is really to know what he says. It's very sad that a lot of believers divorce God from his word. And they say they have God, but they don't have his word. You cannot have God without his word. He's not divorced from his word. That's why Jesus is the word become flesh. Is that okay? And your attitude towards the word of God, the Bible, your attitude towards that is actually your attitude towards God. So if you pick and choose bits, that's what you do with God. If you ignore some, that's what you're doing to the character of God. To accept God is to accept his word as it is. We need to have in this sense, we need to have a covenant with the word. Because whatever the words is in the word, whatever's in the word, I can have. Whatever is not in the word, I cannot have. I can possess what it says I can, but I need to dispossess what it says I must dispossess myself from. So our relationship with God is directly related to his word. And that's the reason and the importance for knowledge. Church, is this too much or is it, is it okay? So knowledge, knowledge is extremely important. You know, it's like God saying, okay, you just get born again or whatever. And God's saying, okay, hot, hot, shh, hell. <laughs> shh, hell, hot, you know. And then you go like, you know, look, you don't have to touch Al to get in it. Just believe God. He, he's loving. He's trying to give you knowledge. Is that okay, church? Are you following me? And so it's really, really important that, that we allow God to train us and to teach us and to speak to us and give us knowledge. All right. The second bit, rushing to a close, is understanding. Understanding. The greatest thing, the greatest thing, I believe, I remember years ago reading in Ephesians 5. It's really interesting to me. I'll tell you about Ephesians 5 and the greatest thing now. I got a bit sidetracked. But when I was a child and my parents disciplined me, it was very, very difficult for me to understand they did it because they loved me. I thought they were cruel, unkind, unfair. I questioned their love for me. I questioned the wisdom in doing it. But you know, as I got older and I became a parent, I was like, flip, that was clever. And I applied it. And it must be wisdom. It must be. Because all three of my kids discipline their kids. And they've got good, well-behaved children. Mannered. And so... You know, I now have understanding. And when I implemented it, it was wisdom. Now, we have a good, wonderful, wonderful heavenly father. He's trying to teach us knowledge. And one of the ways he does it is by Pastor John on a Sunday preaching to all those people who are not present in the meeting today. And uh, hopefully catching them on live stream. One of the ways is through your reading of the word. God is trying to speak to you. How does he prune you? He prunes you by his word. He speaks to you in advance of time, and he's going, shh, 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 through the word. But sometimes when we touch, that's when the cut comes. That's when the knife comes. Because we're sitting then with consequences. We're sitting then with the fallout. We're sitting then with the crisis. It's amazing to me. So understanding is important. So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14. And he's talking to the Corinthian church about the use of the gifts of the Spirit and things like this. I don't know how many times, a couple of times in Corinthians, Paul talks to the Corinthian Christians and he says, Brothers, I would not have you be ignorant. Is that okay, church? Say, I don't want to be ignorant. 
Now knowledge, once you've got knowledge, it implies a responsibility because then you do know. But this is what Paul says, brethren, be not children in understanding. In other words, don't have folly bound up in your heart. Don't be like a little kid. Have understanding. Understanding implies that you've got knowledge. So start to understand it. Then he goes on to say, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 20, How be it? In malice, in other words, in evil behavior, evil lives, be ye infants, but in understanding, be mature men. All right. So everybody say, Lord, help me. That in understanding, I am mature. See, there's a danger, and I spoke about the importance of the word. There is a danger for us as Christians, and I'm not knocking this little facility. There is a danger that we live as promise box Christians. Have you noticed it's always the good stuff, the good verses? Have you noticed that there's no verses that says, you know, don't do that. Stop doing what you're doing. It's all, God's going to take you through God's victory. You're going to have a blessed day. God is faithful. God is this. And God is all of those things. And there is a place for promise box promises. But you know there's other scriptures. Come on, say there's other scriptures. There's other verses. It's a problem I have with some of the modern translations. You know, the ones written by one person. And the Passion Translation and all of those they're great, but it's not written by a team of scholars. And there's a reason why it's written by a team of scholars. But they use just the most incredible adjectives to describe all the good verses in the Bible that talk about how I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm the apple of his eye. And they use glorious terminology. And they elaborate and enhance that verse. And good so, it's awesome. But if you go and find a hard verse like, how shall you escape if you ignore such a great salvation? If the message was binding, given by angels, and every violation of it was punished by death, how will you escape this salvation? And they're quiet on those verses. There is other verses in the Bible. There is other verses other than promise box. We need to understand the reasons why God says what he says. Why does God give commandments or blessings and curses in the Old Testament? Why does he give us commandments in the New Testament? God was not being a spoil sport when he said, only one God, no idols. When he gave us the Ten Commandments, because God knows in doing this, there's blessing. In doing that, there's consequences. So God said, do and don't. Because if you do the don'ts, you're not going to do much more because you're going to shh, shh, hot, you know? But do the do's. Is that right? And so understanding, understanding is really important. So here's a beautiful verse. This is Paul praying for the Ephesian Christians. So you know now I'm talking about knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. So he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. Everybody say the spirit of wisdom. And revelation. So now revelation is when it's like, oh, I understand. So he's saying God give you the spirit of wisdom with understanding. Are you all with me? In the knowledge of Him. So there it is. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So He's saying, in your knowledge of Him, I pray God would give you understanding and flowing out of that wisdom. He says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you may know there's knowledge. What is the hope of His calling? What is the riches of His glory? Glory of his inheritance in the saints. And his incomparably great power for you who believe. So that you may be filled. Is that okay, church? So Proverbs 4, 7 to 8 says this. Wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Come on, church. When last 
did you cry out to God? Because we do it when we're short of money. Fast and pray, fall on our faces, throw a tantrum, kick the ground, stomp the ground. Say, God, if you don't provide now. I dare to say, I dare to say. So would you allow me to say what I need to say today? I dare to say very often those prayers are crisis prayers. Because we've given in to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and mismanaged our finances. And God is gracious. Sometimes God comes through. But does it mean to say that it's his will for you to carry on living like it? No. He bails you out, but it's not wisdom. Is that okay? If people are sponging off you, taking advantage of you, all of that kind of thing, what do we pray? Do we pray God change them or do we confront them and help them change? What do we do? We confront them and help them change. Sure. Come on, church. Sometimes, you know, this is a tough message this morning, eh? But we want God to dwell in the company of the righteous. And sometimes we abdicate responsibility and we give everything to God to do and then we just pray about it, but we don't do something about it. And God's going, I've given you all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all the understanding. You go and do it. You got yourself in. Get yourself out. I'll back you up. I'll stand here with you. I'll give you the boldness, but you go and do it. Oh, Jesus, please change their heart. Please. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. You're going to pray. You're going to pray until Jesus comes, or we do your funeral. Yo, this is tough, eh? So wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all that getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. Wisdom. Come on. Come on. This is awesome verses, man. I blessed myself preparing this because it's going to save me a lot of pain for my stupidity. It's not that funny, Andre. <laughs> but I, no, but I am. I think back over my life at the mistakes I made, and I go, I wish I knew. You know, wisdom. Wisdom is such a waste when you get to our age because the young people don't want to hear it. They want oh, studio doffy and all this kind of thing. They know everything. God should have given the young people wisdom. Yeah. They need it the most. Amen. Isn't that right? Because you can't tell them. They know it all. So they're going to learn the hard way, kind of like us. How stupid are we? I mean, we should be seeking out the counsel of the wise. So wisdom. How do I get it? So here it is. We know the verse, Psalm 111, verse 10. In fact, there's quite a few. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they, listen to this, that do His commandments. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a good understanding have all they who do His commandments. You know, it's only when you're doing it. I can teach you the theory of tennis. All day long, all day long, you'll have the knowledge of, yeah. I can do lectures and put it on the board. I've, I, I don't know if you've noticed with all sports, rugby included. But you know, soon they get onto the field yeah. and they run and they practice movements and suddenly understanding comes. Right. And then there's the wisdom that results and then they know where to kick and place the ball, how to gain territory, how to gain an advantage. You know, they're watching the defensive line is running up, so chip and chase and all of that kind of thing. And then wisdom comes in the game, but that because of understanding the game. But that came because of the knowledge. So sooner or later, we've got to get out of teaching and get onto the field. Is that right? And implement. And wisdom is all about how you live. So... It's the fear of the Lord. It's sad to me. There was a whole movement some years ago, and every now and then it pops up on Facebook, on social media. We need to get back to the fear of God. And often the preachers that say that are poo-pooed, especially by the grace section of the church. But by and large, Christians have lost the reverence for God. Buddy, buddy. I can choose what I want to do, how I want to live. God is gracious. You know, I was watching a, a documentary. It was one of those where you go with the police. 
and it was so one of those live things. And they came into this home, and they caught this Nigerian drug dealer. Sorry to the Nigerians, but you, you, know, you are known for it. But um, So caught this Nigerian drug dealer. I was talking to a detective not that long ago, and he says, you'll never believe it. He said, that's why many of us police, we want nothing to do with Christianity in church. He said, all those West African drug dealers, he says, they're in church Sundays, they're in home cell Wednesdays, they're at prayer meetings, you know, in the mornings, in the week, and things like this, and then their drug money is the provision of God. That's how they justify it. And anyway, these detectives came in, and they caught this guy with drugs and everything, and he's laying on bed watching TV, and the detectives are going through the house, and then one walks in front of him, and he's still laying on the bed, but he's watching a Christian pastor preaching on TV. And now the policeman's standing there looking at him, and he says, excuse me, officer, get out the way, I'm watching. <laughs> but they're busting him for drugs, you know? And then the police officer stands like this, looks at the television show, looks at him there, and he says, how do you justify what you're doing with this? And he says, don't you know, officer, God forgives sin. Church, church, listen to me. How many of us live like that? In some way or the other. God dwells in the company of the righteous. So this is not a smash you up. You know, I'm preaching to you as if you're doing it for the people that are not watching that are out there. But somewhere along the line, we need a bit of a reality check. Because grace has moved to the place now where no one goes to hell, where there's no consequence, where everybody is born saved. No, people are not potentially born saved. They are born sinners. Amen? But the gospel of grace is being pushed to inclusionism and universalism. We are, how can a loving God send people to hell? He, he doesn't send anyone to hell. They get there on their own as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve. They go there. He sent Jesus to rescue us from hell. But it's not just a universal thing. You know, he died for the sin of the whole world. He did, but that, 2 Corinthians 5, but that doesn't make them saved. To them he gave the right to become, become the sons of God. To as many as believed in him. To all who receive him, there's a response from our side. You're not automatically saved. Is that okay, church? And so it's important for us to get this wisdom, to live by it. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Foolishness is to continue doing the same thing, expecting a different result. So Colossians 1, 9 to 10. Listen to what Paul says. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened that you might have great endurance. What powerful verses are these? Church, we can't ignore those. We can't walk away from them. We can go on to James 3 and all of those others, other kinds of verses. But foolishness is to live a life as if we are independent of God. The moment you accepted Jesus as your Savior and you confessed Him as Lord, you gave Him right to lay claim to your life. You gave right to speak into your life. You gave him right to get involved in your life. We can't live foolishly and then expect God to rescue us. You can't be a lazy worker, pitch up not on time, have the worst attitude or a superior attitude, you know, at work, cheating on your lunch hour and all these kind of things using company stuff. You can't do those things and expect to have the favor of God and God to dwell amongst the righteous. Yeah. You know, And then when the boss comes and gives you first warning, second warning, third warning, fired, quickly phone Pastor John, what does God say? Well, God says you're stupid. Yeah. That's sometimes what I feel like saying. Yeah. I feel like being really honest and saying, 
why the heck did you mess up your job? Why, why are you not there early? Why don't you leave a little bit after? Why don't you give extra? I mean, you, for heaven's sake, he's giving you a salary. Why haven't you got the best attitude in the place instead of the worst? Making everyone else feel like sinners and you so holy, but when they look at you, they're going, if this is what Christians are, we want nothing to do with it. Can I have an amen? Come on, say, preach it, pastor. Preach it, preach it. You know, we can't. We can't do that. And then Pastor John, why has this happened? Well, you're a doff. That's why. I mean, how stupid can you be and still breathe? Can you not join the dots and see, I'm here because of? But they can't. Those people, they can't. I, I, I don't understand it. Sometimes I want to pull my hair out and think, and they sit in my church. Oh, they're not. You know, sometimes I get disappointed. Well, John, this is happening, this is happening. And then they want a quick prayer and a prophecy. And somehow that must fix everything. No, you're responsible. I like what Prophet Andre Bronco said. He said, I'll counsel you once, but if you go and do the same thing, you're stupid. I don't come and ask me for more counsel. Well, that's because he's a prophet. Me, I'm a pastor prophet. But sometimes I feel like being a prophet. And just saying it the way it is. Stop messing up. And then you won't have crisis management. Then you won't. Manage your money. And then you, you know, tithes and offerings is the beginning of it. But then manage the money. Don't overspend and get yourself into a crisis. Too many are. They want the crown without the cross. Too many want the glory without the suffering. Too many want the privilege without the responsibility. Too many want the possession without the price. And we can't. Listen, church, there's a process. Jesus grew. Everyone say grew. That means when daddy said, go and clean the chisels, go and fetch the mallet, go and do this, Jesus did it. He went and became obedient. Did it feel nice? No. It's very quiet from 12 to 30. For 18 years, he was growing. It's very quiet. He didn't make little clay pigeons and they came to life and flew. That's apocryphal nonsense. He grew up in the home. He had to learn an artisanship. And I'm sure that every now and then Joseph had to say, listen, you know, get up. Otherwise, there's a, but being Jesus, he did get up. And all of that is training. What is that for? Get the folly out of your heart. Maybe some of the stuff that we're going through, because it's not exactly going on, maybe some of that stuff is because there's folly bound up in our hearts. And we need to go back and have a look at it and say, let me submit to the process. Let me see, what do I need to be doing about it? God is not going to get off the throne and come and live your life for you, drive your car for you, and all of that kind of... Those are things you have to do. You know? If you're lazy and you don't get up on time and you're running late from work, why must he transport you? Why must he do something supernatural to get you there so you don't get into trouble? No, leave earlier. So, is that enough? And so, there is a process, church. So, I spoke to Bev about it this morning because Bev's got profound wisdom. And she said, you know what so many Christians don't understand? Spirituality is 100% practicality. Spiritual, to be spiritual is to be practical. To be spiritual is doing the stuff. To be spiritual is living the life. Spiritual is not that you can prophesy and have dreams and have visions and speak in tongues and lay hands on the sick. That's not spiritual. That's not spiritual. It's part of spirituality, but it's not spiritual. Spiritual is to live the righteous life. That's spiritual. So come on, church. God dwells in the company of the righteous. So what do we need to fix? What do we need to change? What do you need wisdom for? It's all there. It's all in the Word. If we would go and read the Word, study the Word, ask God about the Word, ask the Lord, seek mature, wise counsel. You know, my experience with so many Christians is if, They'll go to one person for counseling if they don't like what that person says because it's going to implement or cost or require change. They go to someone else. 
And if that person says the thing, then they leave it, and then they go to someone else and tell. They find somebody who will say what they want to hear because they don't want to hear what they actually need to do and take accountability and be responsible. Amen? Yeah. So knowledge, understanding, wisdom. And then we grow in the knowledge and the favor of God. And then, you know, favor of man. And then God comes and says, hey, I dwell in the company of the righteous. I feel at home here. You guys are smart. You've got wisdom. You understand my principles. This is where I feel at home. And I close with this last statement. The problem with most revivals is exactly the same as the problem with the scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus said, you cross land and sea to get a convert, and you make him twice the son of hell that you are. God wants a pure revival where they come in, and they're not revived in spirit, and then get given our hellish character traits. Mm. Yeah. Where we can impart godliness with a revived heart. So may that be for us in Jesus' name. Is that okay? Amen. Come on, let's just stand together. Let's just stand together. I don't normally preach like this. You know how I preach. I preach other messages. But I just couldn't get away from it. God had me with it the whole day yesterday. The whole day. And believe me, believe me, we want revival. We want revival. We do. But it requires righteous living, wise living. Amen. I mean, if suddenly hundreds and hundreds of people started coming here for a great move of God, and they watch our lives, and they see our irresponsibility, see our lifestyles, how is it going to reflect back on the revival? How does that reflect back on God? How does that reflect back on me as the pastor of the church? You know, that's why Vineyard was criticized so much. Vineyard, they called it barnyard. Because he said they make animal sounds, but they also act like animals. It wasn't true, but that's, that's, that was the criticism. But how about God coming and dwelling in the company of the just? In all you're getting, get wisdom. Get understanding. If you exalt her, you will be promoted. You will receive honor. Why don't we just lift our hands to the Lord and just say, thank you for your word, Lord. It's not an easy word to preach. It's much better to preach the fun stuff. And I said things, if it offends you, get over it. All right, just start asking the Lord. Say, Lord, like Solomon, he was commended because he said to God, I want wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5. If you ask, he gives liberally without finding fault because wisdom is the very gift that you need. So he won't find fault with you. He'll say you need it to get out of what you're in, to resolve the situation, to live this life. You need wisdom. You need it. So I'll give it to you in generous quantities. Father, I want to thank you for, for each one of us, for myself, Lord. You know, yesterday when I was preparing, I was going, oh, Jesus, <laughs> help me. I've got to preach this, but I'm such a dolphin so often. Jesus, I need knowledge. The knowledge of your word. Understanding. And with it, wisdom, Lord. James tells us that the wisdom of God, the wisdom of heaven, ah, it's pure. It's impartial. It's full of good fruits. Wow. Earthly wisdom is filled with jealousy and selfish ambition and all those other stuff. God, we want the wisdom of heaven, your wisdom, living in all godliness and in all truth. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray as a church, ACF, that we be growing in wisdom, in knowledge, in favor with God and man, in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray for those watching on live stream. Father, if I've trodden on any toes, Lord, it's not my intention to inflict condemnation, but it is, Lord, the persuasion of the Holy Spirit where our lives are not in line, that we line them up, Lord, and we train ourselves in godliness, where, it, where our flesh eventually starts to enjoy being righteous rather than giving in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. God, I pray. Holy Spirit, will you be the after preacher? 
Will you articulate it better than I could articulate it? Will you preach on it for the next coming weeks, days, months, years? Holy Spirit, will you speak into our hearts? We give you permission to come. Lord, we want to be transformed into the full stature, the full measure, the full image of Christ. We pray it in the name of Jesus. And now I speak peace over you, blessing over you, and joy over you. May the grace of God and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be your portion from now and for always. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.